I'm excited to have you guys. Good to see you guys. Uh, we are in a series called Game Changers. We're in a series called Game Changers. And this series was kind of developed with this heart and mind. It, it was uh, developed as, as a way of getting the church, our people, you guys, to recognize that God wants to do something in your life. That not just something, he wants, he wants to use your life to create some sort of transformation for people around you. He wants to take your life, right, and, and use it to change the trajectory of the family that you're with, the friends you're with, the co-workers you're with, your colleagues. He wants you to be a game changer. And this series was really created so that you would have the, just at least the revelation that that is God's purpose and plan for you. That it's not just simply about these four walls, coming to a church service, doing our church thing, and that's it. But to have this purpose, this plan, this vision, this passion, this desire to make changes. Not just to us personally, but to the people around us. Right? And so, you know, every, every generation, and I share this every time with you guys, every generation steps up to the plate to try to create this. You know what I'm talking about? Every generation tries to recreate what was lost. And what was lost was Eden. The most beautiful, the most truth. There was so much truth in Eden. There was so much um, realness and authenticity in Eden. There was so much good in Eden. There was so much beauty in Eden. And every generation has stepped up to the plate to try to restore that. Right? We have generation of our parents who stepped up to the plate and said, you know what, we want truth to kind of reign. We, it's, it, it doesn't matter whether we hate our job. It doesn't matter whether we don't have a future. We don't care about our purpose. What matters is if we feed our children. So we have a generation that was all about God, family, country, right? We will, we will work the coal mines to a black in the face or dying of lung cancer, right? As long as our families provide because that's truth. That's what you do. That's who you are. You don't sway from that. So we, we have a generation that comes in saying it's all about the truth. And that's true because Eden is about truth. Eden's about having truth there, restoring truth. But they miss it because they don't have everything else. And then another generation pops up and says, it's great. I'm glad you have truth. But the problem is what? You're not real. I don't see anything authentic about you. It's just scripted. We want authenticity. We want you guys to be real. We, we want to connect at a real level. So a generation steps up and says, you know what? Um, I want to be able to connect deeply with people. When we see, we see generation of, uh, that generation caring for their kids so much more than the past generation, because the, past, uh, that, I mean the, the, the X generation, my generation, is like we, we're called the latchkey generation. You guys know the latchkey generation? It's basically a generation where you go to school and they put, your mom put a key over your neck and said, when you get home, just open the door. Lock it, then one knocks, don't open it, turn on the TV, watch it for three hours until we get home. Because no one's going to be home watching you, you know, ever. But I'm only four. Don't matter. Survive, right? That's, that's what you got to do, you know? So it's, it's, it's a generation that was like, we don't want the black and white. We want, authentic, we want real connections. And it's beautiful because what? Eden is about authenticity. It is about connection. But then we have what? We, but we still miss it. We still miss the mark because there's so much more. Then we get another generation, a wonderful generation, the millennial generation, that comes up and says, well, it's great that you have truth, and it's great that you are authentic, but you're not doing anything good with it. You're not making anything good out of this. 
We want, we, we want to do good. We want to change the world for good. Do something good. And so they step up to the plate and they try to restore Eden. And we get a generation, this, this coming generation Z, it says it's great that you have truth. It's great that you're authentic. It's great that you're doing good, but it's not beautiful. Can we make something beautiful out of that? You do it in such an ugly way, such a nasty way. Can we just, just be loving, connect, work together, unify, right? Make the earth greener. Can we do that? Make it more beautiful. Every generation steps up to change this world. You guys get me? But all the while, they're still missing something. They're missing something. And God in the background, from the beginning of Eden's fall to now, he raises up people. He raises up sons. He raises up daughters. And he says, I'm going to use you to speak truth in this generation. I'm going to use you to restore Eden piece by piece, brick by brick, block by block, tree by tree. I'm going to use you to speak truth. I'm going to use you to be real. I'm going to use you to uh, create good. I'm going to use you to make beauty in every generation. In every generation, God calls game changers. He calls the game changers to rise up and to do this. And our, our hope for this series is to really get you guys to realize that, that your purpose, your plan, what you have is more than just a job, more than just schooling. It's more than just retirement. It's more than just a vacation. That your purpose, your plan that God has breathed into your life, the moment he gave you life, was for something bigger. And our hope is that, that you would see that, right? And so we've talked about this. How do I do this, PT? How, how, do we, how do we begin this process of really developing ourselves in such a way where we can actually change the game, where we can actually shape the world around us, where we can actually bring beauty, bring art, bring goodness, bring truth, bring reality back to the world? And the first thing we got to do, right, is we got to trust the process, right? There's a process to develop the maturity of a person. There's a process to develop who you are. If you are going to be mature, a person of depth, not shallow, but a person who actually has real depth that can change things, you got to, one, seek the excellent standard. God has a parameter that he says, if you trust me, if you would trust me and walk this parameter, the standard that I've given to you, you will flourish. Not only will you flourish, though, the people around you will flourish. Not only will good happen, good will happen not only to you, but to the people around you. But as you walk this parameter, you got to embrace the suck because it's going to suck for a while. You're going to have to relearn everything. You're going to have to reprogram yourself. You're going to have to go against what other people think is normal. You got to stand up and stand strong and oftentimes you're going to be kicked down and mocked and ridiculed for it, but you embrace it. Because if you embrace it and you persevere, you won't be mature. And a mature son, a mature daughter of God can change the world. You guys get me? And this is a continual process. So we trust the process. But along the lines of trusting the process, what happens is there's issues that comes up. There are distractions that begins to nag at your life. Distraction, and, and we talked about, yeah, pay attention to these distractions. Because if you don't pay attention to the distraction, they'll lead you down roads that you don't want. Like, for example, if you're all about success, if you're all about winning, if you're all about getting something, this is what's going to happen. You're going to step into high school, and you're like, yeah, I'm all about Jesus. I'm going I'm to do this. I, I believe I'm going to flourish. I'm going to change the world. But then you're thinking, well, I just want to take a few years off to focus on school. 
I want to take a few years off to get my internship. I want to get a few years off to focus on my job. I want, I want to take a few, and you, and you start doing those things and begin, you begin, like, I'll, I'll come back for sure, I'll come back. But you keep getting distracted because what really drives your heart is I need to look successful. I need to look like I made it. So you keep going down these roads, sidetracking over and over, and after a while you realize you're at a place you can't come back or it's really hard to come back because you got distracted and you didn't pay attention to what your heart was driving at. Right? Maybe it's approval where you're just jumping from one boyfriend to the next boyfriend to the next boyfriend, one girl to the next girl to the next person because you want the affirmation, you want to feel secure, you want to feel love, and you're thinking, I want to I serve the Lord, I want to do all these things for God, I want to flourish, I want to be a game changer, but I want, can I do it with this person? Can, can I do it with this girl? Can I do it with this guy? Can, can, can we just kind of just, we'll do it together, but, then, you know, the, but they're not walking with you. I, I'll drag them along, don't worry. They're, they're not going to drag me down. I'm going to drag them up, right? And after a while, you realize you're just being dragged everywhere, right? Because you were distracted. You didn't pay attention, okay? Comfort. How easy it is if, you, if your life is just all about comfort. You didn't pay attention. You're all about what's easy, what's simple. I just want, I, just, I don't want any stress, my life, I don't, I don't I want the easy life. I want just to just kind of smooth sailing. How easy is it to say, like, you know, I don't need to work on my marriage when I can just press a button and just kind of satisfy myself that way? I don't need to work on wooing my wife, caring for her, when I can just do us other stuff. Right? How easy? Because it's so simple because you're so bored. Or control, right? So all these things, you got to pay attention to them. Okay, because if you don't pay attention to what's going on in your heart, you get distracted from the process. And if you get distracted from the process, you don't grow, <laughs> you don't mature, and changing the game. You don't become a game changer, you become part of just the system. You become part of the system that just drags you from one place to the next, tossed left and right. You guys get me? Right? And so we, we, we come to that, and then I, I share with you guys that in this journey of Changing the game, changing the people's lives around you, being living in that purpose, there are certain habits that are to be developed. There are certain things that uh, um, uh, a belief or a game changer actually creates or has. One of the things is just do it. God's word. This is God's, I mean, if you believe that God is God, that he created the universe, and he says, would you just trust me? I, I know that you want to do your own thing, but would you just trust me? That if, if, I, if I say this through my messengers, through my teachers, through the people that I've sent, would you trust that this word is to flourish you and strengthen you? Would you develop the habit of not just talking but actually doing it? Just do it. To listen to the word and just obey. But I can't see the good in it. It doesn't matter. Just do it. You'll see it later. Right, you'll see it later. Just like working out. Right? You work out. You just do it. And yeah, but I, I, don't, I just feel pain. I don't see anything great. Just do it. And eventually, it works out, right? Another habit we talked about last week, we talked about seeing the big picture, right? It's not rushing to conclusions. It's not jumping to judgment. It's not just using 30 seconds and then destroying someone's life. It's being able to see the big story, the context, what's going on. See, a game changer has the habit of waiting to hear the story and not jumping along with the bandwagon and making a statement. Just because they look a certain way, because they act a certain way, doesn't mean they are that way, right? Just because Asian girl has blonde hair, don't mean she's crazy. She just maybe like, maybe she does, I'm not sure, right? Or she just likes to have blonde hair, I don't know, right? 
I'm trying. I'm trying to work through that. Right? Is, is it true? <laughs> How many? All right. You gotta see. You gotta see the big picture. You gotta see the big picture. That's what I'm saying. All right. See the big picture. Don't rush to judgment. Don't draw conclusions. See the big picture. Who are they? Who are they? Would you Would you understand their life? Would you understand what's going on? Right. You guys all jumped to conclusions, didn't you? Right. Yeah, you did. Right. You apparently didn't get it. Right. So you know, it's it's really about seeing the big picture, okay? Today I want to share with you guys something, right? Um, a characteristic of a, uh, of a game changer, okay? An- another character. Let me share with you through the story. Let me start with the story. Um, back when I was at the old church, um, we, we decided, like, after service, just to get everyone um, moving along and kind of working, uh, just kind of fellowshipping, we decided we were going to go play um, go uh, play some sports, you know? We played different sports here and there. And so one time... We we were playing softball, I think, and then we got into like I think tennis. We got into I'm not very good at tennis. Okay, I'm, I I like I'm I, but so I cannot hit the ball with all my heart and strength and stay within the the court. It's just really difficult for me. It's, it's a very hard game for me. Okay, like I have no control over this, and so I remember there was this dude though. I forgot his name, but this this dude, and he was like, I'm really good. I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I could have been CIF champion. I was like, whoa, that's crazy, right? CIF champion, that's, that's legit, you know? I said, what happened? I said, like, what happened? How, how, how you not? Oh, uh, yeah, my, my leg messed up. So how, uh, during that time, I was like, how do you know that you're going to be CIF champion? Because I beat the CIF champion. He didn't say he beat them when he was in seventh grade, right? But he said, I beat the CIF champion, right, back then, you know? So we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, wow. And so we're like, we know anything about the story. Like, okay, this guy must be really good, you know? And so we get a lot nervous. And of course, when we play, we kind of bet because that's what we do because this makes it exciting. So we'll bet you a dinner. And then I said, okay. So I remember like, like, oh, man. But we hear the story. I'm like, oh, he could have been say a champion. It's like, dang it. I guess it's just, you know, it's going to give up my money this time. And so he comes to the tennis thing. He, he grabs the bag, you know, the tennis bags, the one where you have 20 rackets, you know? Where like it's like the the the, the warm up racket, the sweat racket. I mean, like all these rackets, you know, to just to play tennis. I'm like, I thought you just need one. Like, no, you need like five of them, you know. So he comes and he's like, wow. we're like watching him, like get ready. I'm like, wow, this is oh, he's legit. Like we're gonna lose for sure. I am so screwed, you know. And then I feel like okay, he put he's put on his special shoes, and you know what? I'm wearing sandals. Right, tank top. I'm like, all right, I'm dead. Right, <laughs> we're so dead. So he he gets his tennis and his racket, right. I have a racket from like Walmart, like three bucks or something. He's like this, like multi-hundred-dollar racket of his, you know. And and here's he's about to serve. You know, you know when you miss a serve and you have good form, it still looks pretty cool, right? So this brother, he missed a serve, and when he missed a serve, I literally looked at my partner and I was like, "Dude, we got this," right? Because he was like this. He was like, he was like, right? I was like, no, he didn't. Right? <laughs> I was like, what? Did like he slip? Is that like what? Oh, watch him do it again. So he was like. Right? I was like, oh, dude, we got it. I'm not saying that guy was a little soft, but I'm just saying with that, like, we won, dude. We're going to win this dinner, you know? Because talk is cheap, right? Everybody look at your partner and say, talk is cheap. They say, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, guys. So the, 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 the picture that I want to paint for you guys today is this, okay? The picture that I want to get through your mind today is that if you... If we say that we are believers, that we are going to be game changers, okay, talk is cheap. You got to have some sort of action to back it up. You, you know what I'm talking about? You can't just say it and just think like, oh, everyone's going to have to just buy into it. You got to show it. And James is going to address this issue because he said like, yeah, y'all, y'all say you have faith, but I don't think you really do have faith because I don't see nothing that comes out of you. 
I don't see nothing that happens. You you say that you believe in God, that's great. I mean, there there are things out there that believe in God and they freak out, right? But I don't think you really believe in what you say you believe because you're just talking because talk is cheap. You got to have actions to back it up. You guys get me? And so we're going to open our Bibles to James chapter 2. All right. We're going to read it through first, and I'm going I'm to have to break down a few things because it's, it's going to sound kind of complicated at first, but you guys are going to like it as we, as we uh, break it down. You guys understand it better. Okay. James chapter 2. So the letter of James, if you guys have not been around, I'm going to give you a quick introduction. Letter of James is James is this pastor from the church in Jerusalem. He hasn't met these people in about 15 years. This is his church members. 15 years after a whole persecution that broke out for Jewish Christians. So they're scattered all over the known world. They ha- they're setting up pockets of churches all over the place. And you, you would believe or you would think that now that they're in pockets of places all over, they're changing the game. They're changing the city. They're changing the town. They're changing families. They're changing people around their neighbors. You would think that that's happening, but the opposite is happening. Instead of changing things around, they're actually fighting within each other. They're, big, they're bickering, they're angry, they're bitter with each other, they're talking smack upon each other, they're using each other, they're looking down upon each other, right? It's really bad. And so James, he, he loves them, so he writes them this letter and he says, hey, you're supposed to be people who are going to change the world, who's going to bring the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is to a world that desperately is trying to fix it, but they can't because they're missing the key ingredient, Jesus Christ. You're supposed to bring this into the world, and instead of doing that, you're just fighting amongst yourself. And as they're up, they were facing obstacles, and, and you can't blame them because they, they were having trouble. They were having trouble in all these pockets because, one, they were Jews, right? And so the, the town people don't like Jews, so they were already like... Um, ostracized for that, right? And then the Jewish people don't like them. Their own brethren don't like them because they were Christian. So they, they tried to, like, get jobs, but they couldn't. But if they did get a job, they get a permit for jobs. They'll get, like, protested against. They'll have people, like, not show up. Their wives were being harassed in the market. Their, their children were being tormented at school. They were having a hard time doing life. And so they kind of just fought with each other instead of actually thinking of the bigger picture. So seeing what God is trying to do in their life, they're just trying to like do their own thing. They're just fighting through their obstacles. And so James writes this letter to him to kind of re, um, recalibrate them, to remind them, to kind of show them, hey, you forget who you are, right? You're not supposed to go with the culture. Don't, don't be tossed around. Don't try to step up to the plate of a culture that's, that, that's going to miss the mark every single time. You're meant to be game changers. You're meant to step in there, persevere, mature, and see God work in you. Okay, and, so, and this one issue that he has is that they talk a lot about their faith, but there's no action behind it. So open your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 14. If you guys have a Bible, bring your Bible, kind of mark it up, write it down. It's so beautiful. You know, like, let me tell you why. I'm gonna, I've been trying my best to figure out a way to tell you guys to bring your Bible, right? I got it. I, I think I got it, okay? This Bible can be passed on to your children, right? Are you like, what? This Bible... When you, when you pass this on to your future kids, they're going to open it, and they're going to see all this writing. Like, dude, my dad, my mom, they actually believe this stuff. Look at all the stuff they're writing. Like, this is their legacy in here. Like, this is what, this is what convicted them. Whoa. Like, how many sexual issues did they have, right? right? <laughs> like, it's all, it's all circled, underlined. Oh, it's a lot of stuff. But they see the legacy. They're like, wow. Man, they, they struggle too, you know? And you can pass this on. They look at it and they're like, wow. So this Bible, you guys know, this is the Bible I gave my wife. Right? Back to me, let me read to you in the front what I wrote to her. Right? This is when she was a heathen, right? 
right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. All right. right. Since the Holy Bible is presented to Trisha Tran, because she was a Tran back then. She wasn't even winning yet. Trisha, by Tony Nguyen on December 28, 2003. And I wrote out, like, may his word be your truth and guide, right? And that she didn't, and that's when I broke up with her. And then, <laughs> and she gave back me back the Bible, right? So it's it's back in my hand, but it's still it's legacy. So one day it's, Seth is gonna open this Bible and he's gonna be like, "Wow, who's Trisha Chan, Daddy?" So that's your mom, fool, right? You know. So bring your Bibles, pass on the legacy. All right, bring your Bibles, underline it, write in it. You can write in your Bibles. You guys know that it's it's allowed. Okay, it is allowed. It is, it is a sacred book, but you are allowed to get in on that. All right. James chapter 2, verse 14. Check it out. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deed is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deed is dead. Bow your heads and me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word that you have given to us this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that as we flush it out, as we parse it out, as we seek to understand it, would you convict us of this word? Would you give us a sense of your presence as, as if it is you yourself speaking to us through this word? And I pray, God, that today you would use me to be your vessel and worthy as I am to do it. Father God, I ask, God, that you would strengthen my voice, my heart, my, and, um, my, uh, my focus, Lord, to give this word as you will it. So I thank you, God, and I praise you, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to highlight some, some specific verses, because I know that when you read this, there's a certain... Um, mindset that you're going to begin to kind of create for yourself. There's a certain thing that you're going to, if you misread this, you actually might mess up the whole entire Christian theology. So I want you, I want to make sure we flush this out correctly. So let's look at verse 14. We'll look at, we're going to look at verse 14, 18, 24, and 26, okay? Verse 14, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save him? It seems like it's telling me that you have to have faith and then do something for you to be saved, okay? Verse 18, it says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Seems like, you know, faith can only be done if there's actually something to be done. Or you, faith is only real if you have something to do with it. Verse 24 you see that a person is justified, which is a, this fancy word that means made right before God by what he does and not by faith alone. 
okay? And, and verse 26, it says this, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deed is dead. And so when we read this, it seems like this is the, it seems like this is the equation that we're kind of like creating in our mind. I wrote it down for you guys. Can you get that slide up? It seems like this is the equation that's coming out of it. That I, no, not only do I have to have faith, but I also have to have works if I want to be saved. Not only do I have to have faith in God, trust in God, not only do I have to transfer my trust, I also got to do stuff if I want to be saved. It seems like that's what James is saying. And actually, can I tell you, a majority of religion, right? If actually, in Christianity sometimes, if you're a religious Christian, right, instead of a believer, what happens is that you go into this equation. You don't feel like God loves you or you don't feel like you're saved unless you do something, right? You feel like the, I have to do something in order and believe also, of course, in order for God to say, now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. Now you are, you are and, and, but it, it, it flies in the face because it seems like there's a contradiction because we have another author in the Bible. His name is Paul. And this go homie, he keeps saying stuff like this. You are saved by faith alone. That's it. That's all he says. You are saved by faith alone. That not of yourself, so that no man can boast, right? You are saved by faith alone. So here we got Paul saying faith alone saves you. And here we got James saying, like, well, you have faith, but I got to see what you do to save you. So how, how are these guys like kind of like just contradicting each other? Is the Bible, is this it? We're done? 2,000 years of history? Out the drain? You leave this place? We're done with Christian? No, right? What they offer us is the better, is the fuller picture of this word salvation, justified, righteous. Look at the word, look, look at uh, verse 24. You see the word justified, right? You see that a person is justified. Look, look at it, verse 25 when it talks about Rahab. It says um, she was considered righteous, right? Abraham, he was considered righteous, right? Those are all words that says you are made right by God. You are saved. You are now his. Now how does Paul's version, there's other authors, it's like, it's only by faith. Now this James version, is like, well, you got to do something. How does that show us a better picture, a fuller picture of salvation? Okay, let me give you, let me give you an example, okay? I, 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 didn't, I didn't check this with my wife, so it could be wrong, okay? On your right, if you look with your right eye, it gives you your right periphery. You look with your left eye, it gives you left periphery, but you need both eyes to, to understand depth, does that make sense? Like right eye gives you right periphery, left eye gives you left periphery, but you have to have both of them if you want to understand depth. Is that right, right? Yes, she says yes, right? It's, you have to understand depth. I just, I just Googled that, right? You have to understand depth, okay? Okay, so in the same way, can I get the second uh, slide? This is what we have. On the left side, your, your left, yeah, left side, on the left side, right, we got faith. On the right side, we have works. And together, we see a picture of salvation. You guys get me? You have faith on the left side. You got works on the right side. It's like left side, faith side, right side, work side, our side. Ah, right. Yes, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back, right? Faith and works together brings you salvation. So what James is saying is this. What James is saying is this. You can't, Okay. Paul says you need faith, faith alone. There's nothing you can do to be saved. A dying, a drowning person cannot work to get undrowned. Un is that right? Undrowned, right? You cannot work to get undrowned. If you're, if you're drowning, you can't say, hey, yo, 
You gotta work at it, man. You gotta und save yourself, bro. Yeah, you can't throw a book at them and say, here, 10 rules to swimming. Figure out how to swim. You, they can't. They're dead. They're dying, right? They need what? They need a hand to come in, a trusting hand to come in and pull them out. A dead person cannot save themselves. And so Paul on this side is saying, hey, you just got to believe. You got you to put your trust in the Savior. That's going to save you. Now, James is saying, but how do you know you're saved? We got to see something. There has to be works that comes out of it. You can do work. Listen, this is very good. You, you can do work in the church, in life, do a lot of Christian religious stuff, and not be saved. You guys get me? But you can't be saved and not do work. You, you guys get that? You can do a lot of work and not be saved, but you cannot be saved and not do work. Something has to come out of your life. If you say, if, if you say like, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, I, I, I love him, right? Then we look at your life and say, well, the way you spend your money doesn't, look, doesn't seem like you really love him. The, the, way, the way you're working with your money doesn't seem like, it's like Valentine's Day is coming up, right? And you spend that much on your girlfriend, right? Like, when's the last time you tithe? You're like, you know, like two months ago. Like, how much did you give? Like, so, savior of your soul, this much. Girl you just met three weeks ago, that much. Yeah, that, that, that tells you, right? So you can do a lot of work and not be saved. Listen, but you cannot be saved and not do work. The Bible says where your heart is, where your treasure are, there is where your heart, right? Where is your heart when it comes to your finances? Where's your heart? And it's not just about money. It's, let's talk about like, hey, your selfishness. You know, you, I'm a Christian. I, I've, I love God. God loves me. But your life pattern, you have not grown out of your, you have not grown out of it. You're still as selfish as you were the day I met you, which is like 15 years ago. Like, you would think in 15 years, there should have been some work that God is doing in your life to free you from that. You guys get me? I'm not telling you that one day you're going to be totally free from all your issues, but I'm saying that through your journey of life, here's faith, you're saved. What should be happening is that there should be some growth happening in your life. You should be 15 years from now more loving, honestly, when you see people. You should be a little bit more generous, less selfish, more forgiving, Right? There should be this growth that's happening. There should be this, this, this constant growing pattern. But if you stay exactly the same, James is saying this, you talk a good game, but your talk is cheap. You tell me you believe good. You see how sassy he is in verse 19? You believe there is one God? Good. Even demons believe that, and they shudder. Right? It's not about saying you believe. It's like, do you really have the salvation. Because if you have it, listen guys, if you have it, what should come out of it is growth. What should come out of it is a working of that salvation. You cannot be saved. You can definitely do a lot of cool Christian service things and not be saved. But you definitely cannot be saved and not do those things. There's something that happens to your heart. There's a transformation. The Bible says that you are a new creation. When he takes you from dead to life, he, he just didn't just pick you up. He gave you a new creation. A new creation is a person who's changed from the inside out. There's something that's happened. It's the desires are changing. Wants are changing. The things that you used to want, you don't want it anymore. You might go back to it, but you actually like, I don't really want that. The thing that you think, like, I, I, you should never give, but I want to give. I want to offer myself up. 
There's a transformation that is going on in your life. You guys get me? Right? But to say, listen, this is the worst for a Christian. This is why so many people, they look in the church and they, they, they're just like, yeah, the church is full of idiots, right? Because we have all these people screaming out, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet their life has no indication of their salvation. Their life does not show growth in kindness. Their life does not show growth in forgiveness. Their life does not show growth in generosity. Their life does not show these things. So you say, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I love God. Show me your works. You say, I have faith. This person have deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. I say, well, prove it to me. He gives two examples. He gives the example of Abraham. He gives the example of Rahab. Abraham, God saved Abraham already. God says, you will have all of this. You know, woohoo, I trust you, right? Get all this family. But, right, how does Abraham make that faith? How does Abraham show that that faith was a reality? He was willing to obey, even when it was crazy. And the obedience was, offer me your son. Offer me your son. I know some of you guys are like, what? God still why would God ask for a child sacrifice, okay? He wasn't going to sacrifice Isaac, okay? That was, that was the whole plan. It was not meant to sacrifice Isaac. It was meant to test Abraham's faith. Honestly, if Abraham accidentally slipped and killed Isaac, right, God would have brought Isaac back. It's, it was 100%. It had to bring him back because God says, to, it was through this kid. You messed up. I, I'll bring him back. Don't worry, right? <laughs> you know, it, was, it, it wasn't going to happen. But the thing was, he was trying to test Abraham, Abraham, you tell me you believe me. Yes? And Abraham, yes, I believe you. Let me see. Give me your son. Abraham said, okay. It's going to be crazy. I don't know why you're asking, but I'll obey. And his obedience showed that what? That he was saved. You guys get me? Because obe- if he didn't do it, then he would be like, I'm, then you're not really saved. Okay? Obedience shows God is working in your life. Obedience to fight off sexual desires and temptation, fighting, that's God working in your life. Obedience in giving and offering is God working in your life. Obedience when it comes to loving people, the poor, the broken, the widows, the foreigners, that's God working in your life. You can definitely do a lot of Christian stuff. I'm, t- I'm telling you, if you're religious, and this is the problem with Christian, uh, with sometimes with churches, you can be really religious. You can show up, do chairs, you can show up. A lot of these parents are like, how come you'll never tell the EM to go do it? It's just, you go do it. Because you think that by doing all these things, they're better Christians, right? They're not better Christians by serving, okay? When their salvation has hit their heart, they will come and serve. You guys get me, right? It's not telling them to go do it that makes them better. It's when their realization that God is alive in them, they will come do it themselves. Right? I said, this has been six years. I'm a patient man. Right? God will come and he will work upon our church eventually. Right? People grow, but you have to be growing. See, faith equals salvation, and if there's salvation, there must be works. You guys get me? Okay, but here's the thing. What is the number one work that James points to that actually shows you understand your salvation? What is the number one action of a Christian that actually shows that you understand your salvation? And the answer is, you care for the poor. He could have picked anything he wanted. 
He could choose any illustration he wanted to use, but he chose to deal with the poor. Do you know why? I'll show you why, okay? Go to uh, James 2, verse 15. Verse 15. This is what he says. He says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, talk, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is that? He's saying talk is cheap. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Why did he use an illustration of poverty to ex- explain salvation? Why didn't he use the um, illustration of money? Why didn't he use the illustration about loving and forgiving? Why, why did he use poverty to explain salvation? The answer is this. The person who's poor, and I mentioned this to you guys, understands what it means naturally to be spiritually poor. A person who is poor, if you look at them, you realize a couple of things. You realize, one, they have no name, they have no title, they have no place. Right? You look at them and you realize that they survive only by the grace of someone willing to help. You look at a poor person and you recognize that someone, they, they survive and they can't demand or ask for anything. They can't just say, this is my right. They have to wait for someone to come. So when you look at a poor person, do you know what that's supposed to indicate and remind you? That you were spiritually poor. You, before Christ himself, had no name. You had no title. You had nothing. You, before Christ himself, could not do anything unless he came in to help you. You, before Christ himself, realized you had no right to demand salvation. It must be a free gift. You guys get me? So when you look at someone who is poor and you don't actually recognize or need to help them, what it shows is that you have forgotten your salvation. You guys get me? To forget them is to say, I've forgotten what God has done for me. To neglect them is to say that I have forgotten the grace that was poured upon me. To not show them grace is to say that I have no longer remembered the grace of God in my life. The Bible says this, if you remember the widows, the, the, uh, the orphans, and the foreigners, remember them, because when you remember them, then you remember what I've done for you to bring you out of Egypt. That you were slaves. That you were people without name, without country, without land. And I brought you to this. I gave it to you. By my gracious hand. So how could you look at a poor person and forget them, neglect them, walk away from them? When you do that, it is a clear indication, right, that you've forgotten your salvation or you don't have your salvation. See, faith equals salvation plus works. The key work that James uses as a litmus test almost, as a litmus test to show, do you really understand this thing that has happened to your life? Do you really understand what God has done for you is he uses the poor as a litmus. When you look at a poor person, what do you feel? What do you think of? They're just using me for my money. When's the last time you used God? Right? Isn't that true? You look at a person, it's like, they're just, they're just trying to play the game. When's the last time you try to play the game with God? God, if I pray really hard, would you give me this? If I show up to church so many times, would you offer? You're just trying to manipulate God. How many times have you done that? 
when you look at a poor person and your personal reflex is to move away, to kind of mm, distance yourself. Can you imagine, God? Like, mm, distancing myself. I'm going off the cross. Forget this mug, right? I'm over these guys, right? It wasn't like that. What did Christ do? Jesus saw our poverty and gave us his inheritance. Isn't that crazy? He gave us the name and the title. Jesus was willing to pay the cost to bring us into relationship with him. He didn't think any of it. It was his joy to do it. Jesus made it so we would become friends with God. Jesus made it so that we would write our own story. Jesus, in your life, brought you out. And so James's litmus test to whether your faith is actually real, to whether your heart actually understands salvation, is how do you see the poor? How do you react when a poor person's around? So I believe in Jesus, guys. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. A game changer doesn't just talk, but engages. I have a video I want to share with you guys. I, I think I shared this on the TCL, TLC family page, but this is a pastor who uh, basically dressed up as a, as a homeless person and see how his church reacted. I thought, I thought about doing it, but I was like, man, what if, like, a thunk comes and actually removes me from the campus, right? <laughs> I'll be so sad. All right, so let's, just, let's, uh, let's go. Let's, let's watch the video, right? closer the person is to us and the less common the struggle, the easier it is to love. God forbid I find out my wife has three months to live. I quit my job. I quit everything, right? What if it's just an acquaintance of yours? And what if the problem's recurring? The more common and further from us how common is homelessness? And how frequently is the homeless person someone dear to us personally? Never. So I took a few moments a couple of weeks ago and camped outside of a couple of our campuses. And I wanted to see how we were doing, you know, when it's 
hardest to love. Do you know that your Father in heaven is giving the same graces to the person that's hardest for you to love? He's giving it. He's giving. He doesn't play favors. He's giving the grace to everyone. And if we're going to love like our Father in heaven loves, we don't get to play favorites. And by favorites, I mean so often we love the people where there's some benefit in it for us, right? Okay, 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 fine. I'll call my brother when I get home. I haven't talked to him for two years, but I'll call him, really, will you, will you? Because that's going to work out pretty good for you, right? Now everything's going to be good with your brother. Your mom will get off your back, and your sister's not going to think you're a jerk anymore. And, and I mean, this is, but see, that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, do that. But not just that. Where it's not your favorite, where there's nothing in it for you, where it's not an upgrade to your portfolio of awesomeness. So how did our church do in the video? I'm going to tell you now. Awesome. I, I was crying inside that beard. I cannot believe the people in this church. The number of people that prayed with me and brought me food. Just watch and see. Pray for you real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, so thankful, Lord, that you brought this man to your church on your day, Lord. We are so blessed that he is here. Lord, we pray for into this man and just bless him and love him. Bless you. Well, God, I just pray that you would just meet this man. And Father, that if it would be your will, that you would just have um, him come into our church. But that you would just know the love of Christ. I don't want you to be out here without knowing him, okay? Welcome to come inside. We'd love to have you. You all can right. come in if you want. That's all right. Bye. How you doing tonight? Doing okay? Would you like to come in and have church with us and sit with us for church? Is there any like people need to pray for you or is But I got some water for you. And uh, something more valuable. It's the word of God here. And God bless you. Is there anything I can be praying for for you, sir? Can I pray for you? Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day, and thank you for my friend here. I just pray that you be with him today. Uh, give him everything he needs. Provide for him. God, you are our provider. You love us. You care for us. And you love this man right here.
the church talk is cheap right when god is calling us he's saying if you say that you have faith then where is the works that comes from it let me see it okay talk is cheap and one of the ways in which the number one litmus test that you can have in your christian walk that that you can see is how you treat the poor how you treat those who cannot help themselves right because when you treat them with the same grace that Christ treats you, you know in your heart. Y- you know. You know what you've done. Y- you, you know, at least you understand what Christ has done for you. But when you neglect, you forget, and it's a clear indication that something else is going on, or at least something else is running this heart. Okay? So my prayer, church, is that you, we as a community, that we would love people regardless of where they are, who they are, what they claim, what they hail, but that we would um, come as a people to show God's grace and God's mercy. Okay? Let's bow our heads.